When I push you away, that's when I need you the most. Pain causes us to do things we don't understand and become someone we don't recognize. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Unapologetically KK. My guest today is Dr. Melanie Schlater, who is a health psychologist. Hello, Dr. Melanie, and welcome to Unapologetically KK. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to talk to you because you deal with one of the biggest issues that we are facing today, which is mental health. So tell us about what you do and where you do it in Dubai. Well, I'm a health psychologist based at the Well Woman Clinic in Dubai, Mm -hmm. and I'm trained in helping people who have medical issues such as could be cancer, diabetes, issues with chronic pain, uh, could be sort of sleeping difficulties, and helping them manage any kind of anxiety, depression, distress issues around those those issues. Um, It could also be helping people who don't have medical problems, so it could be issues of stress, anxiety, depression, uh, issues at work, and so forth. But you also have a background in pharmacology. Yeah. And how does that relate to the health psychology part of it? So I went off on a bit of a tangent. I'd done a Bachelor of Science and I went into pharmacology because I was interested actually at that stage um, in things like sort of chemotherapy, breast cancer. And so doing pharmacology enabled me to learn about the different types of drugs that were used and the impact upon the body. Um, And that that went across the field for obviously different, you know, different conditions, different drugs that you learn about and how it affects a person. And you have this PhD research in the psychoneuroimmunology, which is in breast cancer. That's correct. You've specialized in that area of helping people cope with their emotional problems while going through breast cancer treatment. Yes, and with the research, we were also lucky enough to look at several immune markers and track those over the time period from diagnosis right through until two years post-diagnosis where we looked at the immune markers and studied them in relation to other markers, the psychological ones like anxiety, depression, quality of life, and looking at the changes physically in relation to the psychological map that was happening. Right. Uh, You are a secretary and board member of Breast Friends. Yeah. And I had Linda on my show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she is a breast cancer survivor and also a board member. Mm. Um, So from her perspective, she talked about what it was like surviving breast cancer. But one of the things she said when we, when when she was leaving was that she wanted to come back and talk about what life was like after uh, you beat the disease. And what you're saying is that there are still emotional and psychological effects a person goes through even after they have survived it. Yes, absolutely. And and actually the majority of breast cancer patients and other breast cancer patients, sorry, other cancer patients that I would see come in when they've actually finished treatment. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of having a heart attack by that stage because it's like, where were you, you know, at the time of diagnosis? What was offered to you? What was happening? But I think so many people are going through that medical process. You know, it's so intensive that I think people almost park their emotions. Yeah. And very few people... Um, seem to come in at that stage unless they've been really recommended to come or sort of encouraged to come by their doctor or their surgeon or even a family member. So actually, and it's unfortunate that I would sort of see a lot of people when they've just finished that treatment and when, of course, there's a huge expectation to be getting back into life. You know, yes. now now mum's finished the treatment, you know, she keep get back into doing what she was always doing. And meanwhile, mum is sitting there thinking, oh my goodness me, you know, it's, it's really only just begun. Yes. Um, they've sort of realised what's just happened and what, what they've been going through. And I think they take a huge hit at that time. So actually the research would show that finishing all the treatment 
whilst it's wonderful, actually has a huge psychological impact as well. It's like a whole nother, you know, a whole nother wave to contend with. Yes, because one of the things that Linda said was that while you're going through the treatment, it is so exhausting, Mm. but there is always something you need to do. And there is probably no time for you to sit back and think and really absorb what you are going through. Yeah. Because there's always a chemotherapy session or radiation or you need surgery and then you have to, you know, take care of yourself physically mm. after those treatments. So you're literally going from one thing to another where you almost don't have time to think about what it is that you're going through. So like you're saying that people, it probably hits them yes. after they've survived it to say, wow, I've literally gone through that. Mm. And as you say, I mean, rightly so, logistically, so many appointments, you know, there's so much to think about. I mean, you know, in the most, the majority of cases, I mean, these are people who are just go along, going along their normal life, and then suddenly they get hit with this, mm. and life changes immediately. You know, there's no going back. It's, I always say to people, it's like there's sort of a, a before cancer and then, and then right. the after, or before diagnosis, after diagnosis, this kind of thing. There's such a division of time. Right. Um, one of the things that I experienced myself, because my, my father um, died of cancer, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I was too young probably to understand that. But now the more people I speak with, the more I understand what he must have gone through, the more I realize that there was a pressure Mm -hmm. on him to appear strong and fight the disease because he wanted to show us that he was okay. Uh, He could see the fear in our eyes of losing him. And then he obviously realized it's okay. I'm okay. And I remember asking him, "Um, dad, how do you feel? You know, uh, don't worry, we're going to find our miracle cure. Everything is going to be fine. And I remember so clearly going to a doctor where the doctor said, do you want to fight this? Because it's going to be a very, very long, hard, painful battle to fight the disease. And we're not sure that you're going to be able to fight it or whether you're going to survive. Or we can make you comfortable because we understand you're going through some painful symptoms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think the only, he he turned around and he said, I'm going to fight it. And I think the only thing he, the reason why he did that was because of me and my mom who were there at that time. And my brother was, you know, uh, on his way back from the States. But I remember him, I remember looking at him and thinking, wow, he's going to beat this. You know, there is hope. Uh, Because you as family feel so helpless, you want to do something, you want to help. And then probably your fear takes over. And this is one of the things that my research shows that the family loves you. Mm. And they go through a lot of fear themselves. So sometimes the things that they do actually end up harming you emotionally, because of the pressure that they have for you to be okay. Yes. Um, and, And is that is that right in your experience that, that sometimes the family can't help you psychologically? Look, absolutely. You know, there are two parts to that. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, we need our family members to be okay because mm-hmm. that makes life okay. It makes everything normal again. And so when someone's not coping, we don't always know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. We don't know what they're going through, you know, and the person often, as you say, if your father, if he was looking at his children or his wife and sort of thinking, okay, you know, they, they, they've got fear in their eyes, they need me to be fighting this, um, he's then perhaps you know, not being true to himself because maybe he's thinking, yeah. I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, I can't go through this. And so you can see how the dynamics build up. So he's meanwhile sort of holding his breath, trying his hardest, 
um, and to it takes look okay. a, Absolutely. And it takes a huge emotional toll. And so I think that's where, you know, therapy can come in useful, where you can talk to the family members, you can talk to the person going through the cancer and finding out exactly, you know, what they really feel, what's really going in, going on for them inside, um, because it's such a vulnerable time and those expectations are there. And it's it's not through anything that's wrong or ignorant. It's just, it's a normal human thing. We, we want our loved ones to be okay. We want, you know, the idea of kind of fighting and beating this. Um, and sometimes it's very, very difficult to recognise when people are too tired. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think of even my own mother, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, which subsequently spread pretty much to everywhere in her body. And it was a pretty hideous process that she right. was going through. And she went through a whole round of chemotherapy, which was very, very traumatic and then a very difficult surgery. And there was a period she was fine. And I noticed in myself, right, oh, she's okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you can kind of breathe again. You can get back to life again. And then of course there was a recurrence. Yes. And at that time, you know, I, I can hear myself, identify myself with what you're saying, your sentiments. It's like, okay, we can fight this. We can do it again. You know, I was all ready to go, you know, and of course your psychologist hat is off. I mean, you're the, you're the daughter here. You're vulnerable. I mean, I was 13 again, you mm-hmm. know, kind of watching my mother like, come on, we can do this. We can. And she refused. She said, I'm not doing it. I can't do right. it. I can't go through it again. It's too much. Um, and I think, bless her, I think she tried a few rounds of chemotherapy and then just halted it, just said it's too much. And it wasn't until way later I was thinking, wow, good on you, you know. And it's, mm. but it's not what I wanted to hear at the time. I was not not happy. You're not prepared to. Yeah. But in hindsight, you realise that you probably were a little bit selfish because you were going through a fear. Of course, it is for the love of the person that you are going to lose. Mm. There's no denying that. Yeah. But in some way, your fear overtakes putting that, what that person is going through before what you're going through. Right. And I feel like, you know, sometimes standing back and saying, what do you need from me? Mm. Is, mm. is probably what you need to do. So I would like to ask you what it is as family, what can you do for a person who is struggling with it? I mean, how can you be helpful? It's such a good question because, you know, you have to think about the person who's going through it. There is so much, you know, confusion and darkness and distress. And there are, I think, a lot of unspoken fears as well. And I think a lot of people, if they're not good at expressing themselves, they they hold that in and they put on a brave face and they say they're fine. So if you go to them and you say, can I help you? You'll get mm. the, no, 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 I'm completely fine. Don't worry about me. I'm getting through this, this kind of thing. Um, other people may not cope so well. And then the family are distressed. They're not sure what to do. And so they may choose to help or they may think, oh, it's actually safer just not to say anything. We'll all just right. sort of keep pretending everything's okay. So you can kind of see where this is going. So it gets yeah. very, very difficult. So yeah. I always say that, the, you know, the best thing that you can do and really the only thing that you can do is let them know that you're there to support, you're there to help, that you do love them. and But really mean it too. Don't just yes. sort of say, you know, would you like me to make a dinner for you every week or something and then you don't do it. Yeah. I mean, really stick by it. If you think that you have a few hours every day or every week, you can visit your friend or, you know, be with your family member or you can help, then do that. Yeah. Um, and letting them know, you know, if you need to talk, I'll be there. Yes. Um, and you need to kind of set boundaries around that though too because sometimes the person, even my mother would just say, I can't talk, I'm too tired. Right. And I'd be so hurt and so like, oh, my gosh. But I got it and I was glad that she told me that. So she was giving herself permission to have that space. Right. And that's what I try to teach people who come to me who have been diagnosed as really explicitly 
recognize what you're feeling and then say say what you need. Don't be afraid to ask. Right. And preparing the family members that sometimes mum or dad, you know, they're not going to be in a good mood. Yeah. Look at what they're going through. They've got this drug going into their body. It makes them tired. It makes them down. It makes them constipated. It gives them pain, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so there's so much that people are dealing with. And I think often the, the physical symptoms of the disease or the treatments can mimic anxiety and depression. Right. So it's a, it's a great big can of worms. But uh, one of the things that I have experienced myself, I have also seen this in others, is that when you are depressed or you are going through confusion or something negative in your life, you you tend to lash out at the people closest to you. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people I've spoken to as well said the same thing, that you push the ones that you love away. And it's a very confusing place for for the people who love you mm-hmm. because you are A, behaving in a very abnormal, unnatural way mm-hmm. as what they have come to expect of you. Yeah. Um, it could be it could be shutting people out. It could be almost becoming rude. It could be, you know, saying things that just don't make sense to them anymore. Yeah. And it, I guess from a person who has gone through it, I would say that it comes from a place because you are really confused in your head and you mm-hmm. don't understand what you're feeling. You're just feeling angry sometimes, confused sometimes. Some days you wake up and you feel great. And um, it, one of one of my previous guests said this, said this to me to say that I didn't know which, which version of myself I was going to get that day mm. because there were so many kind of one day I was perfectly okay, one day I was completely a mess and I couldn't get myself out of bed. Mm. So what what really makes us push people away as a first instinct? You know, I think you've actually answered it and that is it's such, you know, there are so many overwhelming emotions depending on what the person's going through, if it's just general life or it's a a diagnosis of of an illness or disease, you know, the overwhelm and the stress and they don't know how to communicate fears and Mm -hmm. maybe just, just simply not good at sort of expressing themselves and going through so much internally as such. Um, and then I think the slightest thing, you know, if someone comes along and they try to talk to you, it's almost like too much stimulus. It's like, just get away from me. I can't yeah. handle it. I've got so much to deal with in my head. You know, one more question, one more phone call, one more text message. I'm going to, you know, throw Explode. the phone out the window. Kind of thing. Yeah, people are really teetering on the edge. Yeah. Uh, it's just too much. To me, also, sometimes it kind of reconfirmed that, see, I knew this person wasn't going to stand by me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, because you're you're not thinking clearly. Yeah. So what you're doing is obviously you're pushing people away, and then you're blaming them for walking away from you. Right, which it's is real self sabotage, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that itself becomes a very vicious circle. It yes. becomes like you you create the spiral, yeah. downward spiral, yeah. and then you blame other people for pushing you down. Yes. Um, so how how can that be detected within because I what I what I know myself Mm -hmm. is that it took me years to recognize that I was not being myself and um, obviously there is this this social stigma to kind of appear that you know everything is great on the outside Mm -hmm. and then you're fighting this internal battle all the time Mm -hmm. and so you don't really look at psychotherapy as a first 
thing to go to. Yeah. Um, that because you don't want to admit something is wrong with you. You just have all of these reasons why things are happening. The world is so bad. People are so fake. You know, everything around me is is crumbling. And then mm. you just don't look within yourself. Yes. And so what really are the signs that people should look at to say, okay, I really think that, um, you know, before it gets too late, because you don't have to go completely insane or, you know, have be, feel suicidal or really go off the deep end to get help. When right. people say, you know what, you really need to see a psychotherapist. I feel like there are a lot of instances in your life where you could actually go, like you would go for a health checkup. Mm. You know, you don't have to mm. wait to be sick to have a general health check to make sure your vitals are okay, your blood is fine, everything is okay. People do those things all the time. Yeah. But why don't we do that for our mental health? Right. So there are, gosh, so many things going around in my head of, of what to, to respond with. Spill them um, all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking in terms of the actual, um, as you say, there's sort of a stigma attached to going to seeing a psychologist or a counsellor or just seeking any kind of psychological help. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, in the medical profession, I think a lot of doctors, you know, surgeons, so forth, they have real difficulty saying to someone, you know, would you think about going and seeing someone and talking about how you feel? Right. Because people take it as a real, it's like, you know, do you think I'm weak in my personality? It's sort of a slight against me. Absolutely, that's the number one thing. And you don't know how many times I get asked that. You know, at the end of the the session, they're like, so you don't think I'm crazy? (laughs) And I'm sitting there and I just can't believe they've even thought of it because you think you've explained. Absolutely, you're so not. But people need that confirmation. And I find a lot of what I do as well is just simply normalising like, and people will apologise for crying yes. or say, oh, that was a dark thought. Oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, was and I said, that's okay. That's normal. That is what you're thinking. You know, you have to validate that as well as let them feel that. I think there's such an emphasis on distracting people and, oh, we'll think about something else. And um, I had someone come to see me recently and she said, the, oh, you know, the, the counsellor had said, um, you know, don't worry and things will be okay and, and, and put your chin up and, you know, you'd kind of thing. And um, and she said, it's, that's all sort of good and well, but that was doing nothing for how I was feeling. I was just feeling more like I'm really not coping now because... I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to be optimistic. Exactly. I'm supposed to be there's looking forward. There's nothing worse than being told you, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. When you can <laughs> feel it in every cell of your being that I am not okay. Yeah. And I, I will actually say to people, I mean, do check, you know, your thyroid, do check, you know, vitamin D levels or iron, you mm. know, even low iron in women can mimic the symptoms of depression because of course you've got basically less energy in the body, you know, you're getting tired or, you know, maybe you suddenly find yourself needing an afternoon nap and then going to bed earlier. And of course that then affects how you're feeling mentally because it's like, oh gosh, I just, you know, I haven't been able to clean the house today or I haven't been able to go to work or answer as many emails. There's just this kind of lethargy that creeps in. So yeah. Sometimes I'll also see people who actually are found out to have things like low iron. So some things could be rectified very simply, you know, right. but the way physical illnesses creep in and sort of affect obviously how we're thinking right. and just symptoms. I mean, you asked before about what we sort of look out for. I mean, obviously if someone's depressed, you'll, <clears throat> you'll look out for, um, it could be sort of very dark thoughts. There could be a lot of rumination going over and over and over situations yes. and particular worries. And a lot of this, um, you know, talking down to oneself, yes. you know, at times like that, we're being very hard on yourself. Totally. So, you know, I mean, there are things that, you know, if your friend said to you, you know, I'm really down, I don't know what it is, you wouldn't say, oh, well, it's because you're, 
whatever it is, you know, fat and your husband doesn't love you and you don't look good and you've let yourself go and whatever, you know, this kind of thing. But this is how we talk to ourselves. Yes. Oh, I'm not this, I'm not that. Or alternatively, I'll see a lot of people that on paper their life looks good. You know, they may be happily married, they may have children, money in the bank, you know, maybe they don't have medical issues, but they're just not feeling it. They're just like, I'm just not myself. I don't know what it is. Mm. And that's what we were discussing earlier about that. There's this kind of confusion there and this this expectation that I should be feeling okay. And but if I'm, I'm not, just I'm ungrateful. Not ungrateful. Yeah. yeah. People always would, um, you know, make me realize of how bad things are out there. Mm. And at least I'm not dealing with those. So you're yes. constantly make, being made to feel that you're better off than a lot of people. Mm. And then that sets in this this cycle of guilt and then more confusion and, and, you know, even less lack of understanding really what you're going through. And I feel like it's difficult to explain to somebody and especially your family and friends, mm. what you're going through because you yourself are so confused about what you're going through. You don't know and understand yourself. And that mm. is a very difficult place to be in life. I mean, imagine you've lived with yourself your whole life, like every step of the way you have made decisions based on a certain understanding of who you are, mm. who you want to be, where you want to go in life. And all of a sudden, you don't understand yourself. You don't mm. understand why you're doing the things you're doing, why you're saying the things you're saying. And then people look at you and say, you're being strange. And you start believing that about yourself to say, I am being strange. I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I doing these things? And I think to get that clarity, mm. you need, you should go to a therapist. I mean, what set me on that path or what made me go was that if there is anything mm. in this world that can make me feel better, I'm going to find it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be clinically depressed to go and see a, a therapist. Right. There, you can be confused. You can, you know, you can be looking for things that you don't understand about the world, about yourself, about your life. And you can just get clarity in a very non-judgmental environment where somebody is just listening to your thoughts and then putting it out and laying it out and showing you where the gaps are. And that's the thing. I think that people do have different approaches. So you should actually investigate kind of who you're seeing before you go as well. I mean, first of all, it takes so much courage and, you know, there's so much vulnerability involved when you go to see a complete stranger. Yes. And you're going to talk to them about, it could be sort of family issues, uh, obviously very, very deep innermost thoughts, things that you may never have re revealed before. Yes. Um, so and you don't even so want much. to reveal because once you say them out loud, you're like, I can't believe I was thinking these things. Yes. And this is where people will say, don't write that down. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and journaling scares me. <laughs> I would say that. Right. Yes. It really does. But I think, I think as well, you know, when you go to see someone, I think, you know, obviously you have to listen, you, you know, people have to, have to know that they can say things. And as you say, that they won't be judged and then giving them tools to manage the emotions is very important mm. as well. So I think you can, there's a role to be said for, you know, encouraging people and supporting people and allowing them to express themselves, but you've got to teach them, you know, what do I do when I feel like this? Right. And even recognizing emotions in the first place. You know, sometimes people will say, I'm so anxious. And then you'll realize it's actually a frustration. Mm. You know, people say, I'm, I'm really sad. And I'm, you know, maybe they're sort of bitter and resentful. You know, it's yeah. trying to sort of tease apart 
the different emotions too and then sort of knowing, okay, what do I do when I feel like that? Yeah. And as I said, it's not about distracting. It's not like, okay, when you feel sad, you know, go out and play tennis and, you know, I do, I do agree definitely that you have to move, you have to be active, but it could be about actually learning how to sit with that emotion and be okay with it. Yes, yes. Um, you know, because I always say, you know, your thoughts create your feelings and your feelings like a soup. Yeah. So even me on a you know particular day, I might have anxious thoughts or worried thoughts and I'll feel it physically. I'll just be a bit fidgety. Um, I just won't, I'll just be a bit sort of on edge. Yes. Um, and, you know, this is the same thing that people get maybe before a presentation or before an exam, that same kind of the, no, the physical... Energy. Yeah, absolutely. So that's all completely normal, but it's how to kind of rein it in when it gets too much. And the yes. same thing as well, when when people are feeling very down, you know, what do we want to do? We want to go to the cave. Yeah. So that's that could be going to the bedroom. It could be just lying on the couch watching mm-hmm. TV. You know, a lot of the time people say, I don't want to think. So they'll go and do things. They'll be flipping through their phone for yeah. hours, yeah. this kind of thing. They're trying not to think because they don't want to feel. Yeah. Whereas I like to teach people it's okay to feel. Yes. Te- Acknowledge that you're feeling something. Right. Um, I I was at a, um, I, I've spoken about this before, but I was at a meditation uh, and yoga retreat in Bali last year. And after one of my meditations, I had this really clear thought, which I shared with my teacher. And what I felt at that point was that um, if you can think of your uh, a room, your bedroom, and you know you're you're getting ready in the morning, and this is how I envisioned it in my meditation. You're getting ready in the morning, and you know you're in a hurry. You need to leave, and you have this piece of paper in your in your hand, and you just kind of throw it down on the floor and think, "I'm going to come back, and I'm going to do it later." Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to throw it. It's a dry piece of paper. It's not going to harm you. It's not going to, you know, um, cause any kind of mess or bacteria or smell in your room. So you're just like, I'll come and clean it later. You come back after a really tough day and the paper is still there and you just collapse on your bed and you're like, I really can't deal with that right now. It's a paper. I'm not going to bother with it. And so... The next morning, the same thing happens. You throw another piece of paper and you think, now I'm going to clean it on the weekend because, you know, it's starting to kind of pile up one after the other and I'm, I'm going to deal with it when I have the time. I need to clean my room as well. And you make every single excuse in the book why you're not doing it. And slowly, over time, you start throwing things. So it's, it's like when you go to a clean place, you will never throw something on the floor. But if the place is already dirty for you to kind of throw garbage out of your window or, you know, onto the street, you don't think twice about it because you think someone else will clean it up. And to me, the thoughts and the pieces of paper were like negative thoughts Mm -hmm. that you have that if you cleaned it out that moment, they won't have any effect in your life. Mm -hmm. But when you start adding them on into your life and then slowly from that one piece of paper, now it's taken over half of your room. So that yeah. is the room, your, the room is your head. Your negative thoughts have now started taking over till you're literally given up all the space in your head to all of these thoughts that you haven't cleaned up, that you haven't acknowledged, that you haven't really done anything with. Mm-hmm. And now you're sitting on this pile, you've lost your room. Yeah, The pile is controlling you, how you come in and get out of that room. And it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't deal with it anymore. And so referring to the analogy I made before, you know, if someone was to sort of knock on the door and say, hi, here I am, and I've got a little, you know, a few pieces of paper on me, how you just, you say, you know, you just want to explode. It's just just too much. I can't handle it anymore. Yeah, because they don't know what you have been going through. Mm -hmm. And I think what's more confusing and what I felt was that 
when someone asks you to kind of talk about what you're going through, because you've collected all your little pieces of paper, it's not any one thing yep. that's causing your distress. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So you can't even figure out why you're feeling the way you're feeling. It's every little thing that you have allowed to pile up yes. in your head is causing this this distress right now. And yep. it's not one thing that you can pinpoint and you can, it's become this one big mass Yes, and I think there's a misconception that there needs to be sort of a major trauma, there needs yes. to be something significant that's that's happened. Right. A major relationship fallout or loss of a job or say, any, any kind of sort of medical event, and sometimes it's just not. It's not. Yeah. It's just yeah. that you haven't dealt with your feelings. You know, it's like they say that you brush things under the carpet and this is what happens. Yes. You have this massive pile that you can't, you know, carry with you anymore and it's become a burden and you just don't know what to do with it. Mm. You've learned to live with it. But it's slowly kind of taking over. Right. And not allowing you to be yourself. So you question everything. Yes. And then when you can see it affecting your quality of life too. And so going back to the red flags that you mentioned, I mean, you know, if this is preventing you now from going out every week and seeing your friends Mm -hmm. or taking your children on play dates or just cooking a meal at night or, you know, sitting down with your husband, having a chat, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe these just little, little things that you just stop doing because you simply can't cope or you're too tired, you don't feel like it. Right. It's just not where your head's at. So these little, little things people tend to drop and that's that's often how I kind of get to what the issues are. Those are your red flags. Yes, sort of looking, what if, what if you stop doing? Yeah. You know, and, and looking at sort of in terms of what they're feeling when they think about a particular issue because mm-hmm. sometimes people will be focused on one issue and then realise actually it's not the money worries, I'm really worried about my marriage. Yeah. It could be something so... You know, something's being covered yes, up. Yes, yes. And another thing I think when people, um, they say, but if I if I get too deeply into this or if I talk too much or if this relates to something in my youth, you know, what's going to happen to me? Well, I just, I'll just end up a complete mess. I won't yeah. be able to function anymore. There's a, just a huge belief that people will lose all sense of, you know, sort of self-control yes. if they're to open up or yes. if one issue was to lead to another and it's so like think, a can of worms, isn't it? Sometimes you have suppressed the memory for so long and you've learned to kind of live with the fact that I don't want to deal with that anymore. Mm. So you kind of pile it away. But once you open it up, yeah. you have to deal with the mess. Yeah, It's it's like a garbage can. You can't leave it open and say, I'm just going to kind of throw the top off. Mm. You know, I have to deal with all of it. I yes. have to now empty the entire garbage, which means that in order for me to throw every piece out, yeah. I have to deal with every piece and understand that I have been holding on to this, you know, and this memory is from my childhood. This happened to me 30 years ago. This happened Mm. to me 10 years ago. Mm. So it's not just one thing. And you, you realize that that's, that's a tough place to be. And you've not always had the courage to do that. No. And you can imagine if I were to use that description and say to my clients, you know, okay, you know, it's a, it's a it's a huge complex puzzle. You know, it's not that simple. I mean, you can see how that would also scare people away. Yes. They're just like, oh, yeah, I, I don't, don't need to be there. here. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm great. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but also, I think as well, you have to you have to know that your thoughts stem from you know beliefs and rules you've created about the world, which can go back years. Exactly. I mean, if I'm told, just you know, bland example. I mean, if I'm told, you know, when I'm you know eight years old, then I'm not very good at maths because I didn't do a test very well or something by the teacher. And I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, child, teacher, there's the authority figure. They don't think I'm good with numbers. The rest of my life, I may just say to myself, yeah, I'm not good with numbers. 
And I so, have internalized someone else's opinion of me. Right. So every opportunity to do something with numbers, I'll avoid it. I won't do it. I'll talk down to myself. And that can affect my life until I'm, you know, 40, 50, this kind of thing. And it, it could be as simple as that. Yes. That people, you know, you know, as you say, internalize something that's been told to them or they look at, you know, maybe the father's absent or something. Oh, men are never available. So their whole life. Yeah. They just believe, oh, so they'll push away the men, this kind of thing. This is how it happens. It starts translating into actions. That makes so much sense because what I think is that you could have internalized one little thing. And if Mm -hmm. that was the only thing that happened to you, you would have gotten on with your life and it wouldn't have affected you. Mm -hmm. But now you've started to believe that you have a slight weakness about numbers, for example, like taking on from your example. And then you grow up and you go through life and you 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 have an opportunity in college and you have another incident where you probably go through an embarrassing situation to do with numbers and that mm. that's adds on and yeah. then i feel like you have set yourself up now for starting to believe and opened up that door yeah. to say i'm not good at this yeah. and then that i'm not good at this starts becoming i'm not good at that as well and then mm. i'm not good at that as well yeah. and then i'm not a good person yeah. and then i'm good for nothing and it just kind of spirals out of control because you started to, you've put yourself on this path yes. of thinking of yourself negatively rather than just taking it in your stride and saying, so I don't know numbers, I'm going to go out and learn them. Yeah. You yeah. know, what's the big deal? But mm. now you've, you've, it's become a part of your personality. You yes. describe yourself as that. Yeah. And so I think once you start taking on any kind of negative descriptions mm. and don't empower yourself to kind of overcome them, yeah. you then, it's a pattern. And that's the benefit of therapy. I think if you've yes. got someone who can really spot this, you know, do you hear what you're saying to yourself? Yes. And I've got people who have told me entire sentences worth of terribly, terribly, you know, negative self-talk. And then I'll say, do you realize what you just said to yourself? And either they won't know at all or Mm. they'll say, gosh, no, that sounds pretty bad. And I always say, you know, would you say that to your friend? And they'll be, oh, no, 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 no. And I said, so how is it at any level acceptable to say to yourself? Yeah. And it's like we're so, we really are our own worst enemies sometimes. The way we talk to ourselves, I think if we can learn to sort of step outside of ourselves, you know, how would you talk to a friend in this situation? You know, you're feeling down. What do you think you need? You know, do you want a hug? Do you want, you know, it's just almost like sort of dealing with children. Yes. You know, when they're having tantrums and that. I mean, you could yell back and and, and fight and take away all their, you know, prized belongings kind of thing. But what if you just sat down and, and got down on the floor with them eye to eye and, you know, what's up? What's going yes. on? You yes. find they just melt in a second. So it's kind of I similar. Totally agree. <laughs> similar I totally with adults, agree. you know. And that look helped at what me with my daughter because I used to get to a point where, you know, it became like a power struggle between mm. us. I'm like, I'm the parent. You have disobeyed me. Yeah. I'm going to punish you. And yeah. she, her reaction would just be, like the loudest cry that you can imagine. And that got me to a stage where I was even more stubborn to say, you can't get away with this by crying. Yeah. And then she would cry even more and I would be even more stubborn. And that power struggle would continue till either one of us wanted had to give up. Like she would either realize that mom's not going to listen to me or I would realize, oh my God, I can't let my child cry this long. Yeah. But I came to one point in my life to say, okay, I'm not going to look at why she's crying. Mm. I'm not going to look at this power struggle. Mm. I know the only thing she wants, because the more I pulled myself away from 
from her, yeah. the closer to me she wanted to get. <laughs> she only wanted to know that my mom loves me in spite of everything. So yeah. she would just come and jump at me and I'd be like, no, you're going to stay there. Mm. You're not, I'm not going to hug you. I'm not going to talk to you. You need to understand what you've done. And I realized yeah. that this is a child. Yeah. I am an adult. Mm. I need, if I'm being so silly and, and stubborn, yeah. how can this make sense in her head? Mm. And so... One day I tried a different approach. I realized that while she was crying, that instead of letting her cry, I went and I hugged her. Yeah. And I, I said, it's okay. I'm here. Don't worry about it. We'll yeah. figure this out. Because the one thing I realized was when she was crying, she was not thinking. She was mm. not being logical. She couldn't hear a word I was saying. And to tell her at that point, this is what you did. You shouldn't do this. It just made no sense to her. Yeah. She just wanted yeah. her mom. And that's why when we come full circle... You know, if, if I was to say to someone who came in and they described all, you know, the symptoms of clinical depression and I said, well, you've got to get outside, you've got to exercise, you've got to eat right, you've got to, you know, they're, they're just going to look at you, you know, that will look right through you. In fact, you know, they just, just don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it's, of course they know that. Everybody knows that. Yeah. But do we do it? Can we do it? That's the question. But yes. it's, yes, but definitely, you know, being able to sort of tease apart, you know, what's really going on and what do I need to do yes. here? So stepping outside of ourselves, whether we're dealing with ourselves, whether we're dealing with our children, you know, um, and, you know, obviously, you know, when we're talking about sort of self-care, I mean, it's it's hugely important. Yes. Because when we're, you know, when we're kind of caught up with all these emotions you know, if I hand, hold my hands up in front of my eyes, it's like, I call it like a sort of a fusion. We're just blind. So if I'm thinking about all my problems, mm. I have no idea what my child's doing, what right. my husband's doing. I can't, I can't entertain that. I've got all this stuff kind of blinding me as such. So when that happens, when that soup that I described as that's kind of existing, um, I'm very less likely to behave like the person I want to behave like. I'm not going to hold myself to the values that were once important to me. Mm -hmm. um, if I pride myself on being, say, an active, you know, in, in tune mother or whatever it is, um, when I'm blinded and sort of fused by these emotions, ah, I just won't care that day. Maybe I'll just be in the bedroom yeah. or I really care what the kids are doing, what anyone's doing, you know. And so I'm not adhering to anything that's actually important to me. So whilst my heart's saying, hang on, you really need to, you know, you need to be connecting with them. This is what you love to do. You mm. know, my my blind kind of state, my fused state is just going, oh, this is just too difficult. So we listen to that. Yes. And I always say, you know, we've got to turn down the volume on the unhelpful stuff. Yes. You know, and get back in tune with, as you, you said before, listening to yourself and remembering what's important to me. Okay, I feel really crappy today, but what's one thing I could do could be like a tick in the box that would feel really good. So, um, and, I, and I say tick in the box very carefully. I'm not about just, oh, tick a box, I did it. But something that would be very meaningful yep. for you. You know, could I just spend an extra 15 minutes with my child? Or maybe, mm. actually, do I have the capacity to ask my husband how his day was mm. today? Mm. Um, this kind of thing. Maybe I just want to just reach out and, and call a friend or something and see how they're going. Yeah, You know, anything that normally makes you feel good. It could even be just cooking a meal. But that takes a lot of courage because I think when you are going through this state, you are only thinking of what people can do for you. It becomes yeah. very difficult for you 
to think of what you can give them. Yeah. You know, because at that time, I think your need is so great. Mm. You just want to, you know what you're feeling is unreasonable. You know what you're feeling is illogical, but you don't know how to get out of it. It's like if someone, I guess the best way I can describe is, is someone's put you into a room with very loud, heavy metal music and you hate heavy metal music and the door is locked and you know you can't, you don't want to listen to it. You know, it's driving you crazy. You know that you want to get out, but you can't. Mm, mm. So at that time, all you're looking for is for somebody to come in and open that door and let you out. Yes. You know, and, and, and I feel like it takes a lot of courage yeah. uh, for you to kind of get to a place where that starts to make sense for you. Because mm. when you're listening to that music, nothing makes sense. All your senses are gone. The only yeah. thing you can feel is these loud, negative voices in your head that are telling you the things you don't want to hear. You don't even agree to, you don't even want to want to acknowledge or accept, mm. but you can't get away from it because it's in your head, right? Mm. You can't turn those voices down. So I feel like getting help yeah. gives you that way of um opening up that door yes yourself a little bit yes and and just to just sort of clarify as well I mean I was talking about sort of value systems so if if helping someone is something that you really enjoy doing or you Mm. get something out of it like by all means do that because you know that will be like you know goodies in your goodie bucket kind of thing that'll be making you you know taking your mind off things for a while and helping you to sort of manage the emotions you know sometimes when we step away and we do something that's meaningful for us but yeah I totally agree actually um you know if that's not your thing then sort of volunteering to go and talk to someone else would be a you know complete catastrophe I mean you really have to listen to yourself but as I say it could be just the smallest things and this is why sometimes just setting out um and sometimes I don't even like the word goals too much but little tasks mm, that you day. can do yeah, yeah. And, and as long as they're Small ones yeah as long as they're meaningful to you yeah um that can sort of help you start seeing through that and as I said, I think the most important thing is listening to how someone's talking yeah, um, and, and mapping out what that looks like. You know, maybe you're up all night and you're awake thinking about things. Mm. It could be very sort of like a generalized anxiety. You know, is it just in the morning once everybody's left home and you're feeling despair or loneliness? You know, trying right. to sort of map out what's happening and when and then you can work around that. So I think sometimes, um, you know, if you're looking at support groups or things, they may not be able to break certain sort of the thoughts and, and behaviours down to that kind of level. You know, they mm. obviously don't have the t- time or things like that. But um, yeah, so individual therapy could do something like that. I totally agree with that. And a lot of the people that I've spoken to have talked about how much therapy has helped them. Uh, it has helped me tremendously. Just put mm. things into perspective more than anything mm. else, because as I said, sometimes you kind of start to think about things that aren't really true, but it's yeah. the way you've perceived them because you are so harsh on yourself. Yes. And and just having somebody, like you said, when people come to you and they say, am I going crazy? Mm. I'm sure I've done that. Right. I've yeah. actually said, am I going crazy? Is something wrong with me? Why am I thinking this way? I don't even believe myself, but... You know, so so just going and talking to somebody who is equipped to understand and handle your your emotions and your vulnerability mm-hmm. is and normalizing. Is, yeah, absolutely. It's it's immensely powerful and, and it definitely, definitely works, but you have to find the right therapist is what I know. Yes. And it you know, it's all in the timing too. You know, some people just know they're not quite ready. And, you know, I think um I think there are a proportion of people who really 
do know when they're ready and mm-hmm. other people who do have to be a little bit kind of pushed into it gently. Yes. You know, but, you know, this is the whole aim, you know, and especially in this particular region is getting things aligned with the medical services so that, you know, if we're talking about cancer, you know, you see you know, you see your doctor, you see your oncologist, you see your surgeon, you see the psychologist that's there, mm. you, you talk to the breast care nurse, you go home so that it's all part and parcel yes. of the whole experience. Yes. Um, it's not forcing it on people, it's making it open, available to them and very accessible. Yeah. I think that's very important. Um, and, and I, I think, do feel that, that it is a lot more accessible now than it was, you know, 20 years ago. Right. Going to a therapist and just, just having a, a couple of therapy sessions to, to talk and, you know, it doesn't have to mean anything. Yeah. Is it true that the stigma is kind of being broken away bit by bit to say that people are being more accepting of the fact that it's okay, there's nothing wrong with me. I, I just want to go see a therapist. I feel the need for a tune-up, for a mental tune-up. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, I think... I'd like to think it's getting just slowly better and better. I think a lot of people would still take themselves away privately to see someone versus, um, you know, maybe sometimes even going to, or or alternatively they might go to groups and Mm. say, yes, yes, I'll just sort of talk generally, but I won't get into the sort of the individual stuff. It really kind of depends on the person. Mm. Um, But as I said, if you can make it more accessible and it's sort of part of the team, it could be normalised a lot faster. And that's something that I think slowing it down. Yeah. It, you know, what we're seeing is people either have to sort of voluntarily ask um, or, you know, they really get into the danger zone and then, you know, the medical professionals are picking it up. Yeah. So we really need to be there sooner. And, um, you know, as I said to you, I think a lot of people that I see have come right at the end of treatment. Yeah. And they'll say to me, where were you at the beginning? I didn't mm. even know you existed. You know, what's sort of happening here? And so, and this is how through initiatives like Breast Friends and that, we're sort of getting the word out there that there is support available for you. You know, you can talk to other ladies who have been through it. Mm. You can get individual support if you want. You can go for sort of a group support option. You know, we've yeah. got almost a social option. We're trying to sort of cover everything. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get into sort of family support now as well to really sort of cover all aspects because it's not just the person going yeah. through, you know, if it's a medical issue that we're talking about. Yes. So I think I think we're getting there. I think we're chipping away. But, um, you know, I will still get people saying, you know, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't give you my right surname or things like that. Or, you know, as I say, don't write this down or, yeah. you know, does this, hey, this, you know, does this make me crazy? Is this, you know, do you think I'm okay? There's, there's a yeah. perception that maybe I'm going to sit there with a magic wand and say, no, you're not okay. And <laughs> I'm going to fix you. <laughs> or the, yeah, the opposite. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yes. Don't come fix me, please. <laughs> make my life perfect again. Yes. Yeah, but I totally agree. I think the way forward is to have more conversations. Mm-hmm. I know that when I spoke up about my experience, people People were shocked that I was ready to share. Yeah, um, they were like, "There's no way," you know. I mean, how are you even talking about that? And I just think, why not? Mm. I'm perfectly fine now. I'm at the better end of my, you know, of of that phase now. Yeah. Why yeah. wouldn't I want to talk about it? What is wrong with talking about about you know problems that you've had? Yeah, you talk about other medical issues if you've survived them and you're thriving and you're doing better and you're coping better. Mm. So. 
you know, it's and not a secret. Why, why keep it to yourself? Right, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think it's wonderful, and I think as well, absolutely, you know, more conversations and, you know, seeing it like if we, you know, your analogy of the room and the pieces of paper and the, you know, they're all building up. So you're standing there either with your, your heavy metal music or your bits of paper, you know, sort of feeling totally overwhelmed and confused and distressed and, you know, not wanting anything else to come at you. And then, you know, I think when you go into therapy or a support group, it's it's kind of like, you know, a gang of people coming in and they've got, I don't know, like huge, you know, blowers or suckers or whatever, you know, they're just going to help you just take it all away. It's going to yes. be so much faster and, and quicker. Yes. You know, it's the and sisterhood of, of support. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, and the right the brotherhood tools. of support. It's, it's just, I think support means everything. And, and through Helen, I, I, uh, you know, I want to get involved in the safe space mm. uh, group that she's got. And I just find that that uh, sometimes it's like, you know, you feel you're all alone. Yes. And then when you meet other people who struggled with it or who understand the struggles that you're going through, it's mm. like, this is my planet. These mm. are my people. Yes. So That's how did that feel in comparison to how you were feeling at the height yeah. of your darkness? I mean, that feeling... Yes, and knowing that you can just sort of plot on step by step and that you will get there. You will get there. I totally believe that. And, and you know, with, with help that is available, with the work that you're doing and, you know, the more conversations that we have, we will get there. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for talking to me and, you know, for bringing this subject to light. I really appreciate your time. Oh, not a problem. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank, Thank you. you. This is Kanchan Kulkarni saying goodbye for now and speak to you again soon.